0: From pillar to post and coast to coast. This is a one-man gang. You're listening to a book. (laughs)
1: Hey, do you watch wrestling? Uh, Ladies and
0: gentlemen.
1: This is the It's Time to Fight podcast. Thank you so much for clicking on that play button. I appreciate every single click that that play button gets. Got a great episode for you this week. We're kind of going back to what this podcast was intended for. Or not intended for, but was intended to be. When I started this podcast, I wanted it to be a type of highbrow wrestling podcast. In the way of I enjoy talking to wrestlers but not necessarily about wrestling. Perfect example. Go back and listen to the Portia Perez episode, where we talk about animal rights, specifically the harvesting of bear bile. Uh, Go back and listen to the ACH episode, where we talk about race relations, Uh, Donald Trump, uh, the types of protests that athletes were taking at the time. Go back and listen to Mark Wheeler, where we talk about depression, uh, the types of things that people deal with, the types of help that's out there, uh, and just the types of things that everybody deals with on a, on a on a given day. These are the type of things that I love to sit down and talk to people in wrestling about. I, I wanted my podcast to be different. I didn't want it to be one of those podcasts of, you know, who's your favorite wrestler, What's your favorite match? What are your goals? And that's not to say that I have not enjoyed every single interview that I have done. That is not to say that I have not enjoyed every single review that I've brought to you guys. But I kind of got away from from talking about stuff outside of wrestling with wrestlers or people involved with wrestling. And even though today's episode is about wrestling, that's that's not the focus of it. And that's what I want to try to do with this podcast. I want to try to get back to that. I want to try to be different. I want to try to be unique from everybody else. And that seems like a damn good segue into today's guest. Rye Levy is on the show. Rye Levy has, uh, has created, has put together a movie called Out in the Ring. It is a documentary about wrestling, focusing on the LGBTQ community within the wrestling industry. Uh, it that that movie has its world premiere this Friday, June third, at the Inside Out I apologize, Inside Out Film Festival in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It will be screening at 4.45 p.m. at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. Uh, That's this Friday. But fans in Ontario can stream the movie right now at InsideOut.ca. So if you're not in the Toronto area or you can't wait to to see this movie, go to InsideOut.ca and you can check it out there. I'm not going to give you too many details about the interview. Why? Because this is... A great interview, and I always, always, always prefer my guests to say things in their own words, their own way. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to waste any more time. It's time to fight with Rye Levy. All right, Rye Levy, thank you so much for joining me today. I got, uh, I got, I got some questions for you, but first, let's get to know Rye Levy. Uh, I, I could read your bio uh, from the uh, from the stuff that was sent to me but I prefer to have people do it in their own words. So Rye Levy, tell me about yourself. Well, I come uh, I come from the film industry
0: uh, starting in the mid nineties as a film festival programmer, distributor, uh, longtime film lover. And uh, that would lead me, after years in uh, film distribution publicity, to making documentaries and then leading me to make uh, Out in the Ring, my first feature documentary about LGBTQ plus pro wrestlers. I grew up in Alberta on Calgary Stampede Wrestling, a child of the television babysitter, and found uh, uh, Stampede Wrestling on ITV in Edmonton and saw champagne jerry morrow against rick patterson on a saturday afternoon and that was over at three i was over at three o'clock and then at three o'clock i switched channels and it was another stampede wrestling so i watched that and then i ended up with three hours of saturday stampede wrestling and i was hooked and uh that love of wrestling uh stayed with me uh you know it inc- decreased um, as uh as purity kicked in, as of course you're thinking about other things in your life and your world. Um, and then eventually it led me back to uh, wrestling again. And when the time came to make a feature film, it just made sense that I would uh, do, you know, they always say, write what you know. Well, make what you know. And I knew about wrestling and loved wrestling. And just thought, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on it. And I'm going to put it through the lens of who I was as a gay man, as a member of the queer community at large. And I wanted to kind of explore the lack of um, representation at the time and kind of also some of the, uh, you know, kind of the, some of the representations that had been presented mostly in uh, storylines.
1: Okay. Now you, you, you say how at the time, um, and I kind of took note of that because, you know, you have characters such as Effie and Sonny Kiss and things like that who are bringing characters like that really to the forefront, like really, you know, genuine characters right in front of you. So how long ago did work on Out in the Ring begin?
0: I started developing this in around 2015. Uh, just as an idea, uh, and it was just kind of bouncing around in my head and looking to see who was out there in terms of available out professional wrestlers. And at the time, we were really limited to the number of people that were there. Uh, we hadn't had, you know, it just Fred Rosser was just coming out as, in WWE as, as Darren Young. Uh, there was a few independent wrestlers like Simon Sermon. And and of course, we, you know, Pat Patterson hadn't quite yet publicly acknowledged, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he was out behind the scenes and anybody in the industry who kind of knew about Pat's uh, history, knew that he was he was he was gay, but he was he'd never actually said it publicly until that Legends House moment. So when I started, I was hard pressed to find uh, some performers who would be willing to speak so i started with an ontario uh journeyman wrestler a veteran wrestler by the name of scott McEwen, who wrestles as sergeant dixon uh and you know trained with ken, trained at the ken patera wrestling school uh, and had a you know a wealth of history and uh you know knowledge of the industry territories wrestling and so i started with you know a veteran like him and then as i as I was filming and starting in 2017, then we had Charlie Morgan's uh, coming out in Eve, uh, Eve wrestling over in the UK. The Mike Pero story as Mike came out uh, later in 2017. And then Effie started getting press. And in 2018, I went to WrestleMania uh, to film with Perot and Effie. And that led me to discover, I met Jamie Senegal there uh so and i met her and then i met you know and then i reconnected with melina who invited me to another wrestling show that she was coming out of retirement on that was lgbtq presenting and that led me to follow another eventually i just started following these these paths and these connections from others in the community and cut to 2022 uh, after some delays because of a global pandemic and you no know, various uh, things in the speaking out movement as well. Uh, I, we've got over 250 wrestlers, probably more than that, but at least 200 of them were documented recently by Outsports uh, in the QWI 200. So. There's been an explosion of representation across the card, and and uh, at the top of the card in AEW, uh, a little less so in WWE, but uh, you know we're it's, we're definitely seeing uh, representation and acceptance uh, expanding across the card on the independents and through uh, some of the majors.
1: Now, being a filmmaker, uh, I've I've had like moderate involvement with uh, with filmmaking, uh, being a freelance writer. But when people like Darren Young and Pat Patterson, as you said, around that time, they were starting or it was starting to come up. They were saying, like, yes, I'm gay. At that point, being a filmmaker and, you know, when this happened, did did you kind of take a look around? Like, how are people reacting to this? Like, how did you feel when this happened? And were you kind of like, you know, well, how are people reacting to this? Like how, cause the, as you said, it hadn't really been done. Like maybe being a wrestling fan, a hardcore wrestling fan, you had heard, okay, Pat Patterson is gay. Uh, maybe you had heard other people were gay, like things like that. But when they actually said it publicly and on a big scale, like, did you take a look around and just like, how, how's everybody taking this?
0: You know i did and i was you know i was interested it was interesting because i wonder what would have happened you know you well i think back to chris canyon and when chris canyon came out and uh just even before chris came out i mean the very dubious uh i you know chris obviously had been out to his colleagues they were aware about it even at wwe and that horrific kind of now we look back and you know terror at the idea of Chris Canyon dressed as boy George coming out of a wooden closet and being pummeled to the point of, you know, uh, I mean, you know, people were terrified. I mean, he was taking shots in that, you know, from that chair from the undertaker that were just vicious. And it was just really, you know, you look back now and you go, wow, was that, was that a sign? And of course, Chris wondered, you know, whether or not that was part of his reason. We also know that Chris had issues with his own mental health and, And such, Um, it was a tragic story. Uh, Chris coming out back then was not well received. Uh, He wasn't as well embraced. I mean, he he had you know whether was he was he was it a conspiracy theory was or was it truth? We'll never really fully know if that's why he was let go, or for what if it was because he was gay or it was his other demons. Uh, It could be a combination of both. But then you look at Darren Young and you saw the way that his co-workers kind of came out and publicly in support of him. Uh, I think, um, you know, that was that was kind of encouraging. I mean, there's just been so many stops and starts with this. Um, you know, the Billy and Chuck angle looked like it was going to be good. And, you know, here's Glad on the Today Show, you know, sending a gravy boat to Billy and Chuck on, on National Morning Show. And then, you know. And then they're pulling the wool under you know over everybody's eyes and saying no we're not gay and you know it's uh, you know it's so you know there's a lots of you know dubious representations and you never know when it was going to break through but I think that Darren Young coming out was a the first signs of maybe there is a changing of the times maybe people are going to actually realize that you know yes it's important to be ourselves. But being gay should not prevent somebody or being trans or bisexual or non-binary should prevent or lesbian should prevent them from performing in the ring.
1: And of course, as I mentioned, Pat Patterson, you know, that there might be an aspect to that, at least in my opinion, of here is this, you know, veteran, you know, deservedly on a pedestal. You know, what are you going to do to the veteran type thing? Like, you know, it's 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 when he when he as you said on the legends house and said, yeah, I'm, I'm gay that there was just kind of like, here's this veteran coming out and, and the, you could see, I don't want to say the hardship, but the, the difficulty and it, you know, it, it kind of confirmed it to a lot of people because, you know, you had heard it all, but yeah, I remember when he did it and it was just kind of like, like he kind of knew it, but it was still, you you could see the anguish.
0: You could see that and I mean, and that's what makes that moment so special is every one of the men in those rooms knew Pat was gay. I mean, they'd been in the locker room with him for 30 plus years at that point and had spent so much time. He was integral to so many of their their careers and had worked alongside them. Uh, And it's just, you know, but even in even in that moment, Pat still never called him his partner, his husband. His lover, his boyfriend. It was his friend, mm-hmm. and it was still of a time. So there was still, you know, in that. in talking to Bertrand Iber, who was his biographer um, on Accepted, who worked with him, he, he said the same thing. Pat never referred to Louis Dondero, his partner, as his partner, even though they were together forty years.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, you, you can, I remember the faces. I can, or I can somewhat remember the faces on that episode. And as you said, people in that house, they knew, they knew, but their faces were still just kind of like, like, oh, like he he said, but I think that might have been because they know he's saying this on camera and it was not, not like, oh, like, no, you know, we're going to be associated with this. I think it was out of kind of respect, like, wow, Pat just said this and he knows what he's doing,
0: you know, and it was also extra tough because at that point, you know, Pat had been the victim of, a pretty bad smear campaign in the 90s there when being an out being a gay man out behind not out publicly behind the scenes got thrown into the sex scandal in the wwe alongside you know scum of the earth like terry garvin and and mel phillips who we all know did things now we're not saying you know as i've talked to so many people who talk about pat patterson and how Pat Patterson was the first guy to make a joke about, you know, uh, giving somebody a blowjob or, uh, you know, or uh, why don't you do this or make it a dirty comment and kidding with the guys. I mean, I listened to Tony Schiavone on his podcast saying, if Pat pushes the envelope too far with you and and gets too silly and dirty with you, just let us know if he makes you uncomfortable. And that was Vince's that was Vince's own kind of response to that. And the truth is, is that that was just Pat. The way he 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 joked around with everybody. He was one of the boys. He just happened to be one of the boys who happened to not want to sleep with the girls. And even then, I've i heard some I've heard some great stories of Pat Patterson and the Crusher doing things. You know that he told Howard, uh, my friend Howard Baum. Uh, in in the last month he was alive, Pat ran into my friend Howard, and he said some of the stories that Pat told him were just. Outrageous, But again, you know, we hear these outrageous stories of a time and of an era. And I think because of that, Pat, you know, Pat, of course, became the target and was easy to accuse. And his main accuser, Murray Hodgson, we now know, had the case dropped because it turned out that not only was Murray Hodgson a gay man, he had a history of actually um, bla- attempting to blackmail openly gay men and having pressed charges and made accusations in that and the judges actual when they dismissed the case that they were dismissing it on the fact that murray hodgson had a record as a lifelong con man and it's on the record in the paperwork in that legal paperwork and this funny thing now is that same guy you know we talk about drag and wrestling in um my my film and that comparison. Murray Hodgson's job right now is booking RuPaul's Drag Race uh, performers on drag shows in Detroit.
1: I was not aware of that. Actually, <laughs> he's a
0: he books drag shows now, so he uh, frequently you know you know doesn't pay people and can, you know continues to you know there's well there's stories out there about him not paying certain performers, but um, you know there's and that, but it, that's what he's done. He's become a drag performer booker in clubs in detroit
1: all right so let's get to out in the ring specifically um tell me about you know you you mentioned the getting the idea you mentioned about the vision so tell me the process tell me what the vision was you're looking forward you know you you know what you want but how are you going to get there And it must have changed a million times over along the way so kind of take us through the start and you know just the 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 forks in the road you kind of had to take
0: well i knew that i wanted to reach back as far as i could into the history of queer representation of pro wrestling so that began that began the process of uh, me kind of researching performers and finding out who people were and looking for names and eventually you know finding those people and trying to build kind of a historical timeline backwards Uh, as i discovered you know found those veterans i was able to find contemporary performers so the story itself moves ahead from the 1940s through the 1950s and 60s And onward, so I kind of built a timeline as I found out, I went back as far as I could find, and then to contemporary times. And that led me on uh, to uncovering many different performers, whether it was listening to podcasts and discovering the story of Chris Colt from somebody like Brian Last. Uh, And that led me to befriending Vandal Drummond. Who had um, who, Kurt Brown, who is in the film, and he he told me about interviewing, you know Chris Colt. And then he would tell me about Ron Dupree, who was his tag team partner and uh, and ultimately was also his lover. Uh, I found out about Susan Green and Sandy Parker. Uh, and and we would uncover you know the fact that you know Ernie Rock, the known as the Grand Wizard, unfortunately <laughs> that name now doesn't uh, carry carrying such a great name but you know that it, it ernie didn't roth, age well <laughs> you no know, it has not at all yeah. and uh ernie roth was gay and then we find out and then we learn about jim barnett you know the fact that an openly gay man was the power player really in the territories of the 1960s and then ultimately was the reason why australian professional wrestling became so big and here was an openly gay man out amongst all his colleagues uh, never hiding, and there, and then you know you take that kind of journey forward into, you know, staying in the closet. Uh, the many different scandals along the way, the the AIDS crisis, you know, played a big, you know, part in homophobia and the increase in homophobia in the 1980s, and through the 90s, um, we see it even in Pat Patterson's story. Uh, we see it in you know we see people like Jerry Lawler referring to people as as a fag on camera, not, not only just in the 80s, but into the 90s. And so, you know, this trajectory of representation that started kind of in the 1940s through to the 1960s with the emergence of Pat Patterson, Chris Colt, Sandy Parker, and Susan Tex Green to the 1980s, where we're seeing just kind of some very dubious representations along the lines of an Adrian Adonis. Uh, that is, was essentially kind of a spin-off of, you know, what Adrian street was doing much better in terms of a character development uh, into the nineties when, you know, we're, you know, the attitude era where everything was edgy and we have gold dust, you know, and which is, you know, in, in retrospect, there's, is a problematic character at points, but also kind of a good counterpoint. Um, there was so little representation that any representation as uh, one of our performer says in the film Poyo Del Mar uh, was they would eat that shit up, you know, you just because it was the only representation that people had at that point. And now we have, you know, this wonderful movement amongst these great performers. I think Effie has proven, uh, I mean, not just as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but just as an independent wrestler on the scene right now. Is clearly head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of branding, self-representing, uh, building, building a brand to the point where, you know, he's making a living just working as an independent wrestler and doesn't need the majors. And to watch somebody like, um, you know, and, you know, and then you see, you know, somebody, you know, a straight, the straight example, of course, being Matt Cardona. But of course, Matt Cardona comes out of having worked for a major major. You know a major national brand global brand in wwe but i think effie proved that you know you can get over and you can get on tv and you could sell and you could be independent and you can and he has been part of this kind of movement of perform you know showcasing that you can be out and be a top top performer whether that be independent uh and And then you've got, you know, the performers in AEW like Nyla Rose and Sonny Kiss, who, while they're not on your TV every day on the major televised shows, are immensely popular with the fan base. They do work independent shows uh, and they, you know, and they're and they've got an incredible following because we I think with televised wrestling, we've forgotten that there's this thing called a DVR. And, you know, we look at ratings and then we don't realize that a lot of people consume wrestling on on streaming platforms or on the Internet and that, you know, that and, and, and through live shows. I mean, wrestling, the options are there, um, you know, IWTV and Fight have made wrestling accessible on a broader base and, and have given the opportunity for these performers to find a new fan base.
1: So when you uh, when you came up with the idea for out out in the ring, was it to showcase that you know this this uh, this demographic has it's not just a two thousands thing, this this has been here since as you said the forties and the fifties.
0: It has. It has. I mean, it it was important to do that you know. I mean. I wanted people to understand the history how far it went back and not just wrestling fans I, the you know wrestling has not as we know has not been kind to the, the lgbtqia plus community uh in terms of its representations in terms of you know hate in terms of using you know people's uh, gender representation and sexuality as a as as heat as villainy uh as a negative thing and so it was um you know for me really really important to highlight that so that we didn't um you know we don't forget you know uh and we don't repeat these same things and that people are aware of what the struggles were uh to get to where they are today and there's still going to be struggles i mean we we just saw it yesterday with uh with that fool at ringside news I mean, here's a guy who goes and decides he's going to start tweeting out, you know, Tony Khan and going going off about making Nyla Rose the women's champion. Um, something that happened first time almost two and a half years ago. And we're going to bring it up. And, you know, it's like, why are you bringing this up? And why? And, and you know, and it, of course, you know, again, and kudos to uh, USA Today, they he lost his platform from them. And because you can't do this anymore and we need, you know, and obviously people need to own themselves. You're welcome to listen, free speech is out there. You're welcome to say whatever you want and you're welcome to do whatever you want, but you're going to pay consequences. And, you know, your, you know, words and actions have consequences. And I think we've seen that, you know, with speaking out. And that was part of a thing that delayed me in the film. We did get hit with kind of a setback uh, in the film and there was a whole LGBTQ Plus promotion that had basically, basically I had to cut out of the film because one of the promoters were there and I tried to address it in the film and it just didn't work because it's it's separate story. It's such a huge story, that issue. But a lot but these things do, you know, they, they rise and fall with times. And, you know, just when we think we're, you know, taking steps forward, we take steps back. So it's important to remember the history. It's important to remember where we've advanced to and where we get to. But we also need to keep moving forward. And improving on things.
1: Now you, you've you've mentioned on uh, on numerous instances about the representation, whether it was by a legitimate uh, LGBT uh, demographic and people who maybe not necessarily were gay, Billy and Chuck, Gold Dust, people like that. To me, and I can't wait to watch this film for many aspects, but one of the things that I'm going to walk in and watch this is that representation. And I, of course, I don't want you to, as the wrestling business say, spoil it. But is, it, is there a segment of this where not just the, the LGBT community, but people who portrayed a member of that community, but wasn't actually part of it, is that represented here? Where how did Absolutely. they feel? How what did they deal with? How did they feel? How did they react? We didn't really get to talk to them about it in
0: that sense, but we certainly spoke to journalists who were writing about it. People like Wade Keller, uh, Greg Oliver, uh, who spoke to you know at length with people and and observed it. Uh, we highlight that footage in there. Um, it was pretty well documented, you know, I I wanted to give a voice to the community. Uh, And when, when you're editing the film, you kind of decide whose voice, you know, you want to, you need to highlight more. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Greg Oliver identifies as straight, uh, Wade Keller identifies as gay, but there are people in here who did observe, you know, characters. I mean, I interviewed my friend Lisa Marie Varon, Uh, who was Victoria in the WWE, and obviously she was part of angles that were, uh, you know, there was a lesbian angle between her and Candice Michelle. Uh, Ultimately, we we touch upon it very briefly, but I felt like, I think it was pretty obvious that these angles were pretty dubious and I kind of wanted people to understand how these stories were impacting the community at large and the performers uh, that I was highlighting Uh, as opposed to being a story about, Oh, I felt bad about doing this. Um, I think the angles speak for themselves in a lot of ways. uh, And we, we highlight many of them and believe me, there are many of them Uh, and there's, you know, uh, You know, we're still looking for that holy grail, though, of that clip from the Today Show uh, with uh, Billy and Chuck on there getting their gravy boat from the people at GLAAD. It was, you know, it was, uh, you know, so that's out there. But again, you know, then there's clips of, you know, you know, HLA, the hot lesbian action angle. Even in TNA, Orlando Jordan presented as a polyamorous bisexual predator, uh, covered in caution tape, lowered to the lowered to the lowered to uh, a couch between a man and a woman, uh, and kind of pawing at both of them. Uh, so I mean, you know, and that was in I think about 2008, 2009. So we were still seeing some bad representations, and you know, and there's still bad moves all the time uh you know it's you know things like you know you know let's let's put put rainbow flags on a straight guy and finn balor and have the community come out and uh, at the same time we'll sign a deal for billions of dollars with saudi arabia and you know at the same time they're giving money to glad you know they're taking money from people who would sooner behead us Mm-hmm. In the in the community, um, it's it's a tough car. It's a tough thing. I wish you know we could have spoken to more of the performers. Uh, at the time we were filming, uh, uh, obviously some of them were under WWE contracts. You know people like uh, you know Billy Gunn and uh, Dustin Dustin Rhodes. They were under contract uh, to a company that was never going to let us speak to hit them, and uh, and the pandemic wasn't going to allow me uh, the opportunity as well at that point to uh, really fly down to California and find Chuck Palumbo at his motorcycle shop and say, hey, what do you think of this? Um, but I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of, you know, ex- you know exploring the impact of these representations. And uh, and I think, you know, the I think. The majority of people will see that yeah there's a real problem here in terms of the way this was presented and uh those who have seen it uh specifically straight people people who identify as straight um have said that they they're you know they're quite they were quite shocked at themselves at how uh you know if they weren't wrestling fans how how bad these representations really were
1: now you mentioned earlier about uh, the speaking out movement and how you know that one promotion. Had to be cut from the film, and you tried to address it, but it just kind of. Uh, and again, the, the 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 small amount of work that I've done in filmmaking is when when you try to address something, you have to address it, you know, to your satisfaction. And mm-hmm. if it gets too big, well, then unfortunately, it has to be eliminated altogether because you want to tell the whole story. You don't want someone saying, "Well, they never finished that. They never,
0: mm-hmm. they never
1: really, you know, they we just kind of veered back off." Was there anything else that kind of became too big and had to, like, is there anything else that you had to leave out that, oh, I wish we would have addressed well, that or addressed more?
0: I mean, I have I had 40 plus hours of interviews uh, and then I've got 40 hours of B-roll and archival. Uh, so almost 100 hours by the time we cut that down to an, the hour and 45 minutes. And I still wish we could have cut it down more um, just because, just for the sake of just, you know, running time, but I'm happy with where it is. I mean, it's with credits. The film's an hour and 45 minutes. It became, you know, and it's still, you know, I mean, there's still some people that might, you know, that have said, you know, oh, it's just too many. You know, there's just so much information here. Everything's fascinating. We love the story, but it's, you know, oh, this should be a miniseries or this is that. So I guess that's a bit of a compliment in a way that, you know, they, you know, there's so much there that they wish that, you know, we could have made it longer. I guess that's maybe, you know, because that's kind of where they're going. But, you know, there was also things like how how far do you go down the the fabulous moolah story? Because uh, Susan Green has, you know, hours of stories about working for the, you know, training with the fabulous moolah and, you know, and wrestling the fabulous moolah and just, you know, uh, and other people have those stories. And how far do you go down that road before it just becomes too much about just the moolah story? Uh You know, when it came time to cut peripheral interviews or smaller interviews, um, my, you know, I basically reminded myself, this is a film about LGBTQ plus professional wrestlers. And so if we have to cut some secondary interviews from the film, we're going to have to probably we're going to try and cut, you know no disrespect to straight people but this is a film about lgbtq plus pro- pro- professional wrestlers they're going to get to the wayside because we've going to we're going hi- to highlight the community that being said you know we do have greg oliver in here and bertrand Bear, but again they have kind of integral you know parts of this history of writing about or interviewing these people specifically bertrand who had to be the proxy for pat patterson because at the point that we would have wanted to speak to pat His his onset dementia was kicking in. He was having memory issues. Um, He was keeping pretty much kept his cancer um, his his fight with cancer to himself, very close to the vest. And you know, while Pat was out there and going to events and traveling, his memory was going. And it would not have been fair to put Pat at the time on camera. And Bertrand spent four or five years working with him on that book and was as close as i was going to get to having an on-screen person and don't think for a second we didn't speak to pat about about them about talking about pat talking to us uh and i knew pat and quite enjoyed him but it just wasn't gonna happen so you know we made we made those decisions uh there's so many other stories you know when you get into when you sit in a house with a veteran like susan green who wrestled from the 1960s and Trained with Joe Blanchard and wrestled Mula, and all the way into, you know, it's, it still has a wrestling ring in her backyard where she trains. And, you know, it's almost 70 years old and, you know, four time and N- Texas NWA women's champion, one time NWA tag team champion, pro wrestling Hall of Famer. You know, road stories with Flair, going to Japan with Sergeant Slaughter, and him protecting her from the Yakuza when they wanted to, you know, they wanted all the 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 American women, and you know him, you know, and you know him calling her Susie, you know, when I met him, how's my Susie doing? You know, I mean, this these great stories that just come with you know, you know, with that history, and and then you know, there's so many other things that just you have to you you've got to make the decision to cut. To get down and focus, and even then, you know, you know, there's things that I really wish we could have, we could have gone into a little deeper. But at some point, um, it was about the stories that some of these wrestlers told, their journeys, and that had to be part of the advancement of time. Uh, the journey of Susan Green into the stories of Chris Canyon in China as out as out wrestlers, uh, the stories of Pat Patterson. And then contemporary stories like Mike Pero, Charlie Morgan, uh, The Dark Sheik. Her story is one of incredible importance uh, as a as a not only as a wrestling performer, but as a performer of uh, Persian descent, watching Iranian wrestlers on TV. And then ultimately her coming out as trans and her transition story A, a very moving. It's a very moving They're very moving stories, and they provide a bit of the arc for the advancement of LGBTQ plus representation in pro wrestling.
1: Is there enough in there for a sequel?
0: If somebody else would like to make that, they are (laughs) welcome to do so. Um, There is probably, you could probably do spinoff stories on any one of these performers and isolate it, and I encourage if you're inspired by my film and wish to make something longer on the story of Sonny Kiss or the Dark Sheik or Pollo Del Mar or Effie or Mike Perro and and Susan Green or anybody else, I encourage you to please. T- <laughs> I am happy to provide you footage and help and assistance in getting that story made. I don't know if I'm going to be the one to tell that story after five years. I'm, I'm pretty much ready to kind of explore another area of the entertainment industry or life in general uh, on camera. So, but uh, I definitely love wrestling still. That won't change.
1: Now, not to influence anyone's perception, or maybe you'll just, you know, totally uh, just let them judge it on its own merits. But what do you hope viewers when, when the credits roll what do you hope viewers get get out of this what what where do you want their mindset or where do you hope their mindset is well there's there's kind of two mindsets
0: for me here i mean i'm of two minds on this i mean wrestling has not as i said earlier not been a welcome space for many fan for any lgbtq plus fans so a lot of the lgbtq plus community has st- strayed away from wrestling cuz as much as they mocked it and laughed at it because there was so much gay panic amongst so many uh specifically in the male community amongst you know oh we're not gay why do you keep saying wrestling is so gay it's like well because you're in your underwear and you're running you know you're running around in a ring together and you're naked face you know you're almost naked um and that's the, you know that's the perception of it and and that and then of course you know you see when you And you hear people encouraging the chanting of faggot at wrestling shows or people holding up signs that say Roddy Piper has AIDS in the 80s, you know, because these were negative stereotypes. I want the LGBTQ community to realize that their voice has been part of this industry going back to the 1960s and before. Uh, we've uncovered, you know, couples who wrest women, specifically women who were not out, but were in relationships who wrestled through the fifties and sixties, um, and stayed together for all their lives into some into the two thousands. You know, of, of, of territories who are well researched. That the the average casual wrestling fan understand that you know, hey, you know, he used the famous you know saying, "We're here, we're queer, get used to it." Well, you're gonna have to get used to it now because now there's no turning back because we've got Three, four hundred wrestlers. And there's more that came out yesterday. More performers came out yesterday because it was Pansexual Awareness Day. So they took the opportunity to come out. And I think what's been most exciting is is that hopefully people will Google many of the performers that we feature in the film through clips, through the interviews. We have a great photo montage at the end of the film because there were so many wrestlers. You can't interview everybody. So I made I created a photo montage of some of the up and coming wrestlers and highlighted those that are getting the opportunity on TV on dark or elevation uh with AEW to uh appear on TV. Um it was interesting. I mean I was listening to your podcast and you were talking about an independent show and not top of their game, but they've been around only a year. And I think of a wrestler you mentioned, Kid Bandit. Kid Bandit's been wrestling for 14 months and Kid Bandit now has a following of like 25,000 Twitter followers and has and they have built up such a huge, huge, huge following and have done this themselves, you know, trained at the Nightmare Factory, took that, got on TV and they are self booking themselves to think of what somebody has done in a year and a half only in the ring. I mean, we're talking about a young, non-binary, trans-identifying person who is out, proud, 22, 23 years old, uh, taking and building, you know, a brand for themselves in such a way that people are calling to book them all over the world now.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, that's incredible. So that's where, you know, it's kind of exciting to see uh, things going. And, you know, I want people to discover these performers, if they're wrestling fans, and learn more about them and and see where they're coming from. But I also want them to, I also want uh, the LGBTQ community to be introduced to wrestling and come to a show and realize that there is spaces for them to come to now. And that promoters, the majority of legitimate wrestling promoters, in specifically in major cities, are not going to tolerate this kind of treatment. You are going to get your ass kicked out if you speak to somebody that way. And I think that that's, you know, and, you know, and at the end of the day, that's just general kindness. I mean, we're stuff we learn as a four year old and five year old. Don't call people names. Don't treat people badly. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You're at wrestling. Shut up. You mm-hmm. know, you don't like a character, boo them. You know, but don't say anything completely offensive. I mean, you can't yell fire in a crowded room. You shouldn't yell the N-word at people of color. You know, these things, we don't do these things anymore. And you can go back and you can tell me, and, you know, and this is where I've lost so much of my respect for somebody like Jim Cornette, uh, is that, you know, listen, times change and you just don't talk that way. You don't speak that way. We don't have slaves. People don't own slaves anymore. You know, that was of a time. And, you know, we have to kind of, you know, we kind of have to be, you know, understanding of people. And, you know, ultimately, kindness rules here. And hopefully, I want people to understand that there's a space for these performers, there's a space for LGBTQ wrestling fans, and there's an opportunity for fans to understand the history that these performers have had in the longer world of professional wrestling.
1: All right, Rye, thank you so much for your time. And uh, as I said earlier, I am really, really looking forward to seeing out in the ring. When is it coming out and how can people see it?
0: Well, we're world premiering in a week in a week and just over a week at the Inside Out Film Festival in Toronto on Friday, June 3rd at 445 p.m. at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. I will be there along with Susan Tex Green, who is flying in from Columbia, South Carolina for the world premiere. Uh, anybody in Ontario can stream it from uh, May 26th through June 4th. Um, you go to InsideOut.ca, and it's going to be a great screening. I'm really excited to see it on the big screen. Uh, I'll be the you'll you'll be easy I'll be easy to find. I'll be the one sitting by the door to run out in the event that anything either mortifies me or goes wrong. And also, if I can't handle watching my film anymore because once you've seen it. As many times as I've seen it in various incarnations, I might have to go to the bar and have a martini, which is why, which is why I appreciate being a TIFF and we're going to have a whole series of other festivals from around the world we've got we've got two more we're ready to announce we're waiting on about 15 others and we're hopefully going to find a VOD and streaming deal.
1: All right, wonderful thanks again and uh, again can't wait to see it buddy. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is my interview with Rye Levy. I hope you guys enjoy I know you guys enjoyed it. I know, because especially if you made it to this point of the podcast, I know you enjoyed it. I, I, I sincerely and thoroughly enjoyed sitting down, talking to Rye uh, about this movie and about the his exploits, uh, the things that he's come across. We spoke uh, a little bit at length, uh, off off camera, if you will, or off record, if you will. Uh, great guy to sit and talk to. I can't wait to, to talk to him again, either on the podcast or to shoot the breeze if him and I ever are lucky enough to uh, to meet. Uh, at this point that I record this, I have not seen the movie yet. And I'm disappointed in that. I was hoping that I could uh, convey to you guys about the movie, but I haven't had the chance. Um, I, I was fully intending to, as I said. Uh, the wife and I, the wife wants to sit down and watch it with me, and we just couldn't set aside those couple hours to sit and watch a movie. If you guys if if you guys have a job, if you guys have a home, if you guys have kids, you understand. To, to set aside a couple hours to watch a movie is not the easiest thing in the world. It, it really isn't. Um, but I know for a fact, I know for a fact, I know for a fact, take my word for it, in the next seven days... By the time you and I see each other again, I will have watched out in the ring, and I will surely, surely, surely uh, uh, give you guys my uh, my review of it, which I'm I'm sure is going to be awesome. The the trailers and uh, the people that I have spoken to about it uh, are all thoroughly impressed. I'm sure I will be too. So, folks, I will see you next Tuesday once again for another episode. Actually, before I go, I'm just going to remind you guys, in case you uh, in case you didn't copy this down at the beginning, I'm going to tell you quickly again, uh, Out in the Ring premieres this Friday, June 3rd uh, at the Inside Out Film Festival in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It will screen at 4.45 p.m. and the TIFF Bell Lightbox. Uh, If you can't wait or you're not in the Toronto area, you can go to insideout.ca and you can stream the movie from there. I believe you can do that right now. Um, So, yeah, go check out Out in the Ring. I'm going to check out Out in the Ring again in the next seven days. And you and I will talk about it next week for another episode of the It's Time to Fight podcast.